Let's welcome Pastor Steve. Awesome. Thank you. Grab a seat. It's great to be here. So we're going to uh, worship uh, a bit later on, uh, but it's um, my privilege today to talk to you a bit around this kind of foundations of who Jesus is. So I'm going to talk to you about it, and then we're going to worship out of that, because hopefully you get a revelation of who Jesus is. Um, oh, thanks, guys. It's awesome. It's pretty pretty hard to overestimate how important uh, people think Jesus is, how important Christians think Jesus is, isn't it? Because so it's a kind of, this is kind of like I'm on a hiding to nothing to try and show you kind of how important Jesus is. But there, there's an old video of this comedian, um, Steve Harvey, uh, who who pretends like if he's going to introduce Jesus and into a modern uh, forum. And I just want you to show, I want to show you this short video to give an idea of kind of like how significant people think Jesus is. So we'll see if it works. Let's try. If I had the pleasure of bringing out Christ, this is just how I would do it. It ain't got to be the way you do it. You might not think it's just right, but this is how I would do it. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor to introduce a man who needs no introduction. His credits are too long to list. He has done the impossible time after time. He has, out of a manger in Bethlehem, Jerusalem, by way of heaven. His mother is still headlining in the Catholic Church today. His daddy is the author of a book that has been on the bestseller list since the beginning of time. He holds the record for the world's greatest fish fry. He fed 5,000 hungry souls with two fish, five loaves of bread. He can walk on water, turn water into wine. No special effects, no camera tricks. He has a headshot on every church fan across the country. Even before the kings of comedy, he was hailed the king of all kings, ruler of the universe, alpha and omega, beginning and the end, the bright and the morning star. Some say he's the rose of Sharon, and some say he's the prince of peace. Get up on your feet. Put your hands together. And show your love for the second coming of the one and only. Awesome. That was a drop the mic. So I don't know if I can um, be quite as impressive as that, but... Um, but I, I want to talk, so if you I flick out the next slide, we often talk about uh, people say, oh, Jesus is the answer. So standard joke in children's church, hey, any question that they ask, they just say Jesus, and it's going to be the answer. But, um, 
But uh, one of the things that I like is if you look up the next one, they go, well, if Jesus is the answer, what's the question? Because uh, one of the things that uh, is interesting is the Bible is a story and Jesus comes as the answer to a whole lot of questions that have been asked. So I was thinking about, you know, so if you flick up the next one, if you go, uh, if you, I don't know if you see, if you go, and Moana came back to the island and suddenly it was renewed again. It was like, you kind of need to know the whole backstory, eh, to kind of get excited about what, what Moana's did. Or the next one, you know, and Harry killed Voldemort and suddenly the muggles are all safe again. It's like, yeah, it's like that, kind of like, what are you talking about? Uh, or the next one, you know, and Luke defeated Darth Vader and suddenly peace reigned in the empire again. It's like, what? So it, I, I don't know about, I, if you flick up the next one, I just finished reading this David Baldacci novel and it's like, you know, through all these little threads, they kind of come together at the end and you go, oh, now, now I understand the story. And, and it's kind of like that with Jesus. It's like Jesus comes as the answer to a whole lot of questions and that, that have been raised by a story. And if we don't know the story, we end up trying to sell Jesus as the answer to some other kind of things. Like, oh, oh, well, if you were to die tonight and go to heaven, why, would you, why should God let you into heaven? Oh, because of Jesus. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's true, but it's not really the full weight of the story. Or, or you wouldn't want to get be left behind if the rapture happened today. So the answer is Jesus. It's like, yeah, not really the full weight of the story. Like, there's a bit more to it than that. And um, if you flick up the next one, I, some people say this, we need to teach a God frame in which Jesus makes sense. And you started this series. Oh, there's a story. Like, this is, this is the story that the Bible, that Christianity sees a good world, but it's fallen. And these are the issues. And then, and then Jesus is the answer to that problem. And this is how we engage with them. Uh, a few years ago, if you flick up the next one, I heard an Old Testament professor said this. Unless we interpret the New Testament in light of the Old Testament, we can make it mean anything. And it's like, oh, yeah, Jesus comes as the answer to a long story that defines a whole lot of issues. And unless we kind of anchor it in that, it kind of becomes just weird. And we try and make it mean anything. Flick up the next one. It's quite interesting if you look at it. Oh, it's gone off the edge. But, you know, that's pages. Or look at verses. So basically, the Old Testament is three quarters of our Bible. So God waits a long time to send Jesus. You've got to read three quarters of the book and sit with a whole lot of issues and problems and unfulfilled promises. And that's the point at which Jesus comes as the answer. And so actually, the more that we go back and read the first three quarters of it, the more we'll kind of understand uh, where he fits. And Jesus actually took this approach to his life. If you flick up the next one, at the end of Luke, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Further on in the chapter, this is what I told you while I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. For Jesus, he understood who he was. He understood what he was doing as the answer to a very long story. And, but most of us don't know how to engage with kind of the Old Testament to go, these are, the, these are the problems that they felt they needed an answer to. These are the promises that were unfulfilled. This is the thing that they were yearning for. And all of these threads that, like the David Baldacci novel that you, that you couldn't see, and the Old Testament finishes with all of this stuff, like how does this all tie together? And then Jesus appears on the scene and goes, no, no, it all ties together now in me. 
but it, but you actually have to understand the backstory. So I'm just really quickly going to sh- suggest some of the different elements. Uh, if you flick up the next one, that are there in the Old Testament, and it's not clear how they're all going to get solved. So the things like, man, this awareness, we live in a world where evil things happen, and sometimes that's going to get defeated at some point. You know, there's, there's a sense that God's going to restore his uh, rulership and his rule through a, a leader, a Messiah figure. There's the idea that we live in a world where people are broken and God wants to bring healing. There's the idea that we live in a world of people who are guilty and need forgiveness, but that we live in a world that desperately needs justice and righteousness and peace brought back here. And ultimately, we live in a world where we're separated from God and we're waiting for a time when God's presence comes back here. And those are all threads in the Old Testament that it finishes like, how is this all going to tie together? And then it's like, oh, Jesus is the answer to that. And so I just want to show you, I want to quickly kind of go through some of the the main kind of storyline, the main pictures, the main kind of prophecies that pointed towards, this is what God wants to do. This is the yearning. This is where the story's going. And then I want to quickly show you then how Jesus comes and says, I'm, the, I'm how this all fits together. This is how this all works. Is that all right? So, so it's going to be a whole lot of verses in the next uh, 15 or so minutes. Is that all right? A bit much for an early Sunday morning. Okay, so right back at the start, if you, you know, the sense we've got this good world that's been made, but this evil presence comes in, and there's this, this first kind of prophecy that God speaks to the snake figure, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And there's this prophecy, one day a child is going to be born who's going to destroy the evil in our world. I think it's a bit more exciting than, like one day, this evil stuff that happens in our world, someone is going to smash it. Someone is going to destroy it. But there's already a hint in that final line that it's going to come at a cost to him. He's going to destroy evil, but he's going to suffer something in the destroying of it. You know, a few chapters later in Genesis 12, God comes to this person, Abraham, and says, I'm going to use you to do this thing uh, of making something great. And the language down the bottom, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That God's heart had always been for blessing in the world. But because of sin and brokenness, now it's not a blessed world. But don't worry, Abraham, I'm going to raise up someone from your line who's going to bring blessing back to the whole world. Like, this is bigger than you think. This is for, this is for everyone. But already back in Genesis 22, if you flick up the next one, I'm going fast through this, okay? So just get the feeling of the story. There's this weird incident where Abraham's called to sacrifice his son, and at the last minute, God spares him, but... but but uh, down in verse 14, Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And on this day, it said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. That God gives Abraham a hint that th- this, this whole journey of bringing blessing back is going to cost the sacrifice of something precious, of a son. And, and it's like, what does that mean? It's like, just live with the tension for a minute because it takes a few more thousand years till we know. You know, down in Genesis 49, by time now there's 12 tribes, and God picks out one, Judah, and says, Out, you're going to be like a lion. Like you're going you're gonna to rule. And verse 10, your, the scepter, that's your ruling, will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff. It's like, oh, it's coming through this line. These guys, they're gonna, a ruler's going to come one day, and he's going to reestablish God's rule in our world. So it's like, oh, man, there's all these different threads already. You all right? Too fast? So 
evil, blessing, sacrifice, rulership. It's already all there in Genesis. We only got to the first book. If you jump ahead, the next one, you know, jump. I'll, I'll leave all the Exodus stuff because I think you might have covered some of that. But, you know, when you get to David, uh, and David's a great king, but God promises David, when your days are over and you rest, I will raise up your offspring and I will establish his kingdom. And down the bottom, your house and your kingdom will endure forever. And it's like, oh, that, that, this ruler is going to come from the house of David who's going to rule forever. It's like, how, and he's the one who's going to defeat evil. He's the one who's going to bring blessing. He's the one who's going to do all this. So, but what about that sacrifice? It's like, I don't know how it all ties together yet. But, but we keep reading. And this, this theme in Psalm 2, this Messiah, the, what they call the Messiah, that he's seen as God's son, and, he, and he's going he's gonna to rule over the nations. He's the one whose vision is the whole world, that he's going to bring God's peace and blessing to the whole world again. And it's like, oh, one day he's going to come. One day this person's going to come. And then when you get into, basically, Israel fails to be the vehicle to bring this, and it's like, man, Israel needs saved as much as the rest of the world. But, one, but still, from these people, someone's going to come who's going to do this. And so then, when you get into the prophets, they start looking forward to, man, this is what we're hanging out for. We're looking for someone who will come and bring God's blessing. Flick up the next one. Isaiah 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. That's David's lineage. And, and the Spirit's going to be upon him. And look, and this is what he's going to do. Verse 4, with righteousness, he will give decisions for the poor. Righteousness will be his belt. Oh, he's, he's going to bring righteousness and justice back to our world. All that pain and that brokenness is going to be gone again. It's going to be amazing. And if you flick out, it's actually crazy amazing, the vision. The wolf will lie with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. Verse 8, the infant will play near the cobra's den. Verse 9, they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. It's like, really? One day this leader's going to come? who brings justice and righteousness and gets rid of all violence and pain and hurt in the world? Yeah, that's, that's kind of the vision. Uh, but, and it's like, okay, we, we're getting this. There's this ruler coming. But then Isaiah has this other weird figure, the servant guy. So as a, there's a ruler and there's a servant. But have a look at this. He's my servant. And, and he's not so much a ruler. He's quite gentle. Verse 3, a bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. It's like, oh, this guy's real gentle and caring and, and deals with people who are broken and hurting. You know, and, and it gets picked up again next one in Isaiah 49 about with the servant guy. Verse 6, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob. I'll make you a light for the Gentiles. Oh, so he's going to bring healing. Not to the, he's going to bring it to the whole world. And then just the next chapter, Isaiah 50. But now he's going to do this, but notice in verse 6, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. It's like, oh, he's going he's gonna to bring healing, but he's going to be hurt doing it? It's like, so there's this king who's going to rule, but there's servant who's going to be hurt. And then, and then it reaches its climax in Isaiah 50, the next one, 52. You know, uh, there are many who are appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured and his form marred, but he will sprinkle many nations. It's like, oh man, really suffering, but doing it to bring healing. Like, who's this guy? And then into Isaiah 53, if you know this passage, you know, uh, 
Verse 3, he was despised and rejected, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. Next one. Um, sure, but he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God. He was pierced for our transgressions. Um, down the bottom, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Next one. And, and he's oppressed and afflicted. Uh, next one. We'll just skip through some of them. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Why? Because he will see his offspring and proclaim his days. And it's like, oh man, so there's this figure who's just so concerned for the brokenness of our world that he takes all this brokenness on himself. And it's like, how does that all fit in? And then in Isaiah 6, go on the next one, the final thing, fulfillment of this theme. You know, he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners. It's like, oh, here's this, this sacrificial servant who just, I just want to heal your brokenness. So there's this king who's going to rule and there's a servant who's going to heal brokenness. And like, how do they all fit together? And no one really knows. And then just to further complicate things in Jeremiah, another prophet looks forward and, and like, oh, and I'm going to make a whole new covenant with you. And, um, and this is the covenant. I'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I'll be their God and they'll be my people. And, and, and kind of, it finishes, the Old Testament. And none of it had happened. <laughs> the defeat of evil, the coming of this king, the healing of broken people, the forgiveness of sins, the restoration of justice, the presence of God. It's like a whole lot of loose ends. And like, what happened to the story? And that's where now, if you come to the New Testament, Jesus picks up all of those threads and pulls them all together. And it starts in Mark chapter 1. And a voice came from heaven you are my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. Now you can, I'll oh, slow down now. You can read that as just this nice thing that God's saying to Jesus. It actually pulls together three threads. You are my son is a quote from Psalm 2 about the messianic king. You're the one who's going to rule. The end, with you I'm well pleased, that's from Isaiah 42. This is the servant. Do you know what? No one in Jewish history before had pulled those two threads together. Because how do you be the king and the suffering servant? No one had ever pulled that, but God spoke that over Jesus. You're going to be a king who rules by giving your life and sacrifice. And the middle phrase, the son that I love, that's from Genesis 22 about Abraham. Suddenly those three threads come together. The king who's going to rule, the servant who's going to... Uh, heal people through his own sacrifice and the son who's given as an offering to do it and it's like oh my goodness now I start to see how this is all going to happen and then in Luke 22 at the end you know Jesus go, pulls us together now this whole thing this is my body given for you this is my blood poured out for you that's a new covenant oh this is this new covenant and it's through the sacrifice of the servant king and that opens that all up, and it's like, oh, another whole thread comes together. I've gone, sorry, I've gone too far too fast. But do you kind of get, there's all these threads that kind of come together. Um, which then, if you go back to Mark chapter 1, have a look at this. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, 
I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Do you get the prophecy? One day a messenger is going to come saying, get ready for God's appearing. Here's another thread, okay? The defeat of evil, the king who's going to rule, the one who's going to bring forgiveness, the servant who's going to sacrifice, the one who brings justice. But, but one of the other threads is, yeah, and God's going to turn up. Now, here, here's the thing. If there's a prophecy that someone's going to be crying out in the wilderness, prepare for the Lord, and then it says John the Baptist appeared. So Jesus came announcing the kingdom's coming, but if John the Baptist was the messenger telling about God's going to come, who was Jesus? Jesus was God coming. Oh, so he's the king but not just ruling for God, he's actually God ruling in our midst. He's the servant giving an offering for God for us, but that's actually God giving himself to us. And his presence with us is not a symbol that God is with us. He actually is the presence of God with us. So, oh my goodness, this other thread, this biggest thread ever comes together in Jesus. One day God's going to be present again. Oh, that's in Jesus. And so that kind of explains in John chapter 20 with Thomas, when he finally meets Jesus, you know, and he's invited to put his hands into the nail marks and his side. uh, And down in verse 28, Thomas says to him this, the most, uh, something that a Jewish man would never say. Suddenly all the threads come together and he looks at Jesus and he says, my Lord and my God. I don't know if you got there. <laughs> Everything had come together. This is not, this is God's king. This is God's suffering servant, but this is actually God doing this. And that makes all the difference because if Jesus is just doing it for God, God's still distant. But if Jesus is divine, this is God doing it for us, not sending someone else. And so I. I just want to jump ahead to the end of the book, Revelation chapter 5, where, um, where John has this vision. And uh, maybe I can get the keyboard person to come back up. And, and, he, and he has a vision of heaven, and, a, and he sees how these things all tie together. And so this is what he said. He's frustrated that history is not moving forward, and he's upset. And then he sees the spiritual being, one of the elders, says, Don't, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. This promised king is here now. He's won the victory. It's happened. God's rule has come back. And John's like, where? And then verse 6, and then I saw a lamb. Oh, the lion is a lamb. The lion who rules is a lamb who's been sacrificed. Jesus is the fulfillment of the king theme, but also the sacrificial theme. It's all come together. And he's, and he's a, oh, just go back, sorry. And he's a lamb who's been slain. And it's like, he's the lion, but he's the lamb. He's the ruler, but he's the sacrifice. He's the one who gives his new own life to make a peace. He's the king who's going to bring justice, but he's the lamb who sacrificed to bring forgiveness. He's like, he's everything. Every hope in the Old Testament comes together in Jesus. 
And if you now you flick up the next one, and this is now the response. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll. Why? Because you were slain. Because you achieved everything you were called to do by the sacrifice of your life. But because of that, with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. That's going right back to Genesis 12, the call to Abraham to reach all the nations. You did it, but you did it through your death. Like you brought blessing to the whole world, but you did it through your death. Like that's not what we expected, Jesus. And you've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they'll reign on the earth. And then if you flick up the next one. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. This is like 10 million angels singing like they get it and they're starting to something rises up to worship Jesus and to pray like this is amazing the whole story now has come together we get everything all these loose ends I all fit together in Jesus and they encircled him and they said what worthy is the lamb worthy is the lamb worthy is this one he's done it all those loose ends this wonderful story of God has come together in Jesus and he's worthy now He's the king who reigns and he's the lamb who was slain and he's the one who's established a new agreement with God and he's the one who gently comes and heals our brokenness. He's the one who pays the debt for our sin. He's the one who restores justice and peace. Like it's all come together in Jesus. And, and then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne, that's God the Father, and to the Lamb, oh, he's equal with God. He's not just a human leader doing this on our behalf. We worship him. We worship, he's, there, he's with God on the throne. They rule together. And to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and did what to Jesus? Worship. If you, if you know the Jewish story of the Old Testament, the one thing that you're not going to do is worship a man. And yet they came to understand that the story had come together of the one who would come and defeat evil at the cost of being hurt the one who would bring blessing to the whole world, the one who would bring God's rule back and bring justice and peace, the one who would gently come and bring healing to broken people, the one who would bring forgiveness of sin, the one who would suffer and die. And if that's not amazing enough, that that would not be someone doing that on behalf of God, but that was actually God in flesh doing it himself for us. And that the only appropriate response is to acknowledge him as Lord and fall down and worship him. Jesus is the answer. The Old Testament is the questions. And Jesus pulls all the threads together. Why don't you stand? And I can get the music team up. And how about we join with the sound of heaven that gathers round and worships the lion of the tribe of Judah, who's a lamb who was slain who sits on the throne with God because he's divine and has given his life for us.
why don't you join with the sound of heaven and worship Jesus? Thanks, guys. <laughs>